0: The two primary concepts are to maximize value to the client, to the customer, and then to get a, an environment where everybody, every day, is working towards continuously improving the practice.
1: How do you get anything done, get anything fixed around that hospital? And how does management contribute to or totally muck up the fight for excellence? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and the former practice owner and strong advocate for operational excellence is Dr. Chip Ponsford who spent years as a practice owner and now even more as a proponent of management techniques that are built out of Toyota car plants and now used for veterinary hospitals. So, what is lean, what is operational excellence, and are you focused on maximum value to the customer, or in your case, the pet owner? Let's find out. So I guess we could start with very seldom do I get to say, Hey, I get to talk to the person who wrote the book on X because usually there's a ton of people, even in veterinary practice, there will be a ton of people writing about something as it pertains to veterinary practice, but you have written a book on lean management as it pertains to veterinary practice. So I feel like I'm going to get it from the horse's mouth.
0: Well, I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) I hope we can uh, shed some information and get some people enlightened and, uh, turned on to, uh, the lean concept.
1: Okay. So maybe two questions and you can tackle them in any order you want. The first question is how you were introduced to lean management. And then maybe that will help open the door to what is the most general definition lean management and how does it pertain to veterinary practice? But we could start with your origin story or the definition, whichever one you like.
0: Well, several years ago, probably about 12 years ago, mm-hmm. I, uh, had to have my gallbladder removed and so i was recovering from that and had always wanted to get an mba just never wanted to spend the money to do it sure so i got onto a, a site called the personal mba he had a, a list of books i don't know there was a hundred books and i ended up reading about 80 of them over a year's time during that reading session i got introduced to this thing called lean and it piqued my interest i looked into it more, started to do some research and reading. And the more I learned about it, the more I was just enthralled with the concept and the ideas. It was very much the way I thought as a as a veterinary owner and a manager. I just had never seen it put into so many words. Does that mean you were kind of, when as you started
1: to dig into it, it didn't just resonate with you? Were there things that said, oh, I do that, or oh, I always wanted to do that?
0: The whole concept was Resonated with me. I just, from the very first things that I, that I learned about it, I thought, oh wow, this is incredible. This is exactly the way I think. You know, this is the way I try and run a, a veterinary practice. You know, and it was all bundled. It was uh, lean as a system, it's a mindset, it's a mythology, it, it's a philosophy of management that um, not necessarily supersede the traditional ways of management, but it's certainly going to put a, a different perspective on the way you manage and, and the way you think about managing staff and, and business and, and that sort of thing. So all of that was just incredible. And I, I just couldn't stop reading about it. I couldn't stop learning about it. I ended up reaching out to a gentleman named Mark Graben, who mm-hmm. is a world expert on lean in human healthcare, And he was kind enough to kind of mentor me and So he and I have worked quite a bit over the last several years.
1: So tell me, for those who may have heard of Lean, I think most people would probably know Lean because they've heard that it came out of management styles in Asia, especially as pertains to the auto industries. At least that's how I've heard about it. So tell me, what are the core principles of Lean from your vision and research? Where did it come from? How has it developed? That sort of thing.
0: Well, the origins of it came from Toyota. It's called the Toyota Production system. okay, TPS. The Americanized version of that is is lean, and that was coined by James Womack in his first book, The Machine that Changed the World. And he came up with the term lean because it gets the fat out. It's about reducing waste, it's about uh, reducing amongst other things, yeah, and that sort of thing. So that's where the lean, aspect of it comes in. More now these days, and especially within the veterinary groups that I work with that and are, are working with to promote this concept, mm-hmm. we're tending to now use the term operational excellence because it explains things a little bit better than lean. I mean, what does lean mean? If I say, you know, I've, I've got a, a program or I've got a system of operational excellence, I think that means a little bit more.
1: It's a catchy name, but it doesn't mean anything just strictly. But operational excellence, I mean, that could mean anything. I feel like anybody would probably say, well, we like operational excellence in our business. For the system that's developed out of Toyota, became lean, sort of been reskinned in a in a better name with operational excellence. What does that actually mean, boots on the ground, for the leaders and the employees in an organization? How is it different from a place that is not operating with this level or in this kind of operational
0: excellence? Well there's several concepts. The two primary concepts are to maximize value to the client, to the customer, and then to get a an environment where everybody, every day, is working towards continuously improving the practice. It's a pursuit of excellence, it's a pursuit of perfection, understanding that we're never gonna get to perfection, but we're gonna head in that direction and hopefully then hit excellence those are the main concepts there are some tools and some other ideas it tends to to promote thinking in terms of systems we as veterinarians we know all about systems we deal with systems every day in our patients and how they can interact and how they can feedback loops and all that sort of stuff but we don't think of our practice being necessarily a system or a system of systems so when things go wrong in operational excellence, we tend to think of it as a system failure, not as a personal failure. So staff, if something's going wrong with a the staff, then the first thing we want to do is see where did we let that person down and uh, make sure that it's not a system failure before we put the blame on people. There's, there's a great amount of respect through the operational excellence. We see staff as a. One of the most valuable assets that a, a business, an organization, or a practice can have. And it's one of the few assets that can actually appreciate in value over time with training and uh, support and that sort of thing. And we want to give them an environment that's safe for them to bring problems, things that need to be fixed, ideas, this idea of continuous improvement. Um, We want them to to have emotional and intellectual safety in the practice. And I think that's something that we all talk about. We just have never really done too much. Veterinary medicine has pretty much been a kind of a a top down. And operational excellence is much more bottom up. It's recognizing that the staff and all the stakeholders in, in your practice have information. They're not only just skills, but they've also got experience and they've got ideas and it's silly to not invite them to partner with us in making the practice better tomorrow than it is today and next week than it is this week and, and et cetera, et cetera.
2: Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions, a poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair, help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetxinternational.com forward slash leaders. okay welcome back to the show i hope you enjoyed part one let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two
1: so everything you're saying makes perfect sense and i love the fact that you also because i thought about this you know i'd always heard that classic example from the factories that anybody on a factory line at toyota could I forget, it was pushing a button or pulling a cord that would stop the line completely because there was a safety or a quality problem that needed to be addressed. And nobody would get in trouble for pulling a thing and stopping the entire factory. So that is the kind of this equivalent of psychological safety in a practice where people could bring up issues that they're having or problems they're having and that they could talk about it knowing that it'll, as you said, it'll be regarded as a, we'll try to figure out what the problem is in the efficiency. We'll try to figure out what the problem is in the system to correct it as opposed to, worrying that you're going to get in trouble for making anybody look bad
0: right instead of staff always being blamed for the problems (laughs) right this is a a way of partnering with them allowing them to own an improvement own a piece of the of that practice management and be a, a partner with us rather than somebody that we look down on
1: So it might be difficult if a culture isn't like that, it might be difficult to shift it. So that's obviously one hurdle that would come if somebody heard about this and said, I would like my practice to be that way, but it's not. So there's that hurdle. But I wonder just starting out what you just mentioned, thinking about looking at systems, how does that actually look boots on the ground in the practice? I mean, I can understand people have conversations about how to make things more efficient, but is there a process that operational excellence brings to a practice that makes it easier to get those changes pushed through or discussed in a better manner than sometimes happens.
0: Well, some of the other concepts that are involved in operational excellence are, again, thinking in terms of systems, mm-hmm. problem solving, getting to the, um, the root cause of a problem and fixing it at the root cause rather than just putting Band-Aids on things. <laughs> I know in a practice situation, It's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. Right. You know, one one pops up over here and you bash it on the head. And no sooner do you turn around than the same problem is popping up uh, somewhere else. So it's getting everybody involved and say, look, here's the problem. What are our ideas? uh, How we can fix this? And then everybody works together. And it's an experiment. We don't know if it's going to work. We're just coming up with countermeasures that will hopefully fix the problem, and we'll see. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then we'll go back and do it again. All this is based very much on the scientific method. The same mindset and and thinking procedure that we as veterinarians use. You know, we come in and we have an animal that presents with certain problems, and we already know what the ideal condition of that animal is. That's already been established. So what are the gaps? How is this patient different from our ideal? And then once we have that, then what are the possible root causes of that? That gives us our differential diagnosis. And then what are we going to try and do to figure this out? Do we need to run some more tests? Do we need to get some more information? Do we need to define better what the current state of this animal is? And then we'll come up with some, some treatment options or some ideas for treatment. We don't know if they're going to work for sure. It's a trial and error. And we'll come back and we'll reassess. We'll study it. We'll do it. Come back, reassess. If it works, great. Everybody's happy. If it doesn't, then we'll take another look and go at it again. And the cycle just keeps repeating until we get where we want to.
1: Yeah. In the shared empowerment is the roadblock to what you're talking about there, which again, it makes perfect sense. Is it that people are so busy, as you said, playing whack-a-mole, they don't have time. It takes time. For somebody to pull the cord on that uh, factory floor means that the company is now losing money. So every time that thing stopped, the company, and in the same way, a practice would lose money if you had to stop. It's money and time and client satisfaction that's lost when people have to stop and think about what is the root cause? What's actually the problem here? So is it resistance where people say, I don't have the time to go after the root cause, I have to keep putting Band-Aids on everything? Or are people depressed and think there is no solution, it's not fixable? Do you get a feel when you talk about lean and practices, whether both those or one of those is more prominent?
0: I just don't think they see the process. We understand about diagnosing animals right. and the process that we go through in our head, you know, that's been drilled into us. It's the scientific method. We've got a hypothesis. We're going to test the hypothesis. We're going to come back and check our results, and then we're going to make a conclusion. And it's the same exact process in management. We just have to kind of convert our brain to thinking about all this on a practice basis. Instead of a patient having an illness or a dis-ease, our practice can have illness and dis-ease. And it's the same process. It's a matter of habit and it's a matter of priority and saying that this is the way we're going to we're going to handle it. Because in the long run, it's going to save us time, money, and energy. And going back to that first principle, all of this is in order to give value to the client. The client doesn't want to have to pay for mistakes. They don't want to have to pay for non-value-adding steps or things like that. So all of this is geared to the holy grail. The holy grail in operational excellence is maximizing the value to the client from the client's perspective, not ours. It's what the client thinks is is valuable that that matters. You know, whatever we say really doesn't matter in you know in any kind of economy, it's the consumer that's going to decide the value.
1: Okay, let's dig into that cuz that's a That's interesting. And I, I mean, I agree this idea of maximizing value to customers can't help but make a business better. And if you look at it from the big picture, you know, you think you're focused on the patient health and you're thinking, well, the pet owner comes in and sure we, the pet owner's there, but the pet's the most important thing, but there's so many big picture ways to sort of merge those together. So you get them both together. Tell me maximizing value to the customer. I don't know that that is the primary emphasis at many veterinary hospitals. And so from your perspective, are there other mindsets that are different than that? And then if you were to practice operational excellence or lean, that you would slowly shift that to focus on that? Or do you think maximizing the value of the customer is already the primary mindset?
0: I think we like to think it is. Sure. (laughs) I'm just not sure that that's a a reality from what I've seen in, in the industry over the last 40 years. And, you know, owning a practice and working in corporate practice and now doing relief work and being an associate in uh, different practices, I think we fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing this for the client and for the patient when I think we're a little bit more uh, self-centered and looking out for us. You know, the idea which when you, when you say it to people, they say, yeah, 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 yeah. And that is, it, you know, it needs to be a win-win-win situation. It needs to be a win for the patient. It needs to be a win for the client. It needs to be a win for the, for the practice. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't charge or we shouldn't make money or that sort of thing. We're a business. I understand that. But you've got to look at this thing from the client's perspective. And I think over the years, that's maybe where we've fallen short a little bit is not thinking that direction and deciding that you know we tell the client what they want and what they need. And they say no, and so you know, they go to Dr. Google or they go someplace else because they don't find value in our practice. It's a shift in perspective.
1: That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? you are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.